This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Always delighted to be joined by our next guest. Always uh, fortunate to have had him with us through so much of football season because you really can't talk to anybody with better experience or better knowledge than our friend Justin Adams. You can follow him on social at Justin Adams TV over at CBS News Colorado, a man wearing many hats. Although I actually can say, Justin, I, I've known you for years. I don't think I've ever seen you wear a hat. <laughs> you know, it's funny right now. I'm actually having a hat on, but uh, I, I, I have seen okay, Justin okay. with a hat on. I mean, yeah, I, you yeah, know, yeah. I have no hair, so hats are important for me <laughs> because I live in Colorado and it can be cold. But, uh, Wait, but yeah. I, I try to be as stylish as possible when I get the chance to throw he on is. a hat. So uh, I anytime, can attest Anytime I get a chance, to do that, yeah. <laughs> so the Broncos, as we talked about, it kind of set it to start the show before you came on. Uh, the playoffs are now. Lose and right. go home. I mean, you'll, you'll play out the string, but your playoff chances are done. Your season is effectively done as far as reaching a goal if you don't win the rest of these next three games. Now, what happens when you face a team, for example, like the New England Patriots, in which you are expected, even though you're not all that great, you're expected to have no trouble whatsoever with these guys. If you were ever to describe something as a trap game, this kind of feels like it, right? It does kind of feel like a trap game. But, guys, for me, I, I struggle with it being any type of trap game. The main reality is this, is that uh, you're a team that hasn't been to the playoffs in seven years. Uh, what, seven, eight years now? Good. I mean, I lost the count by how many times they haven't been in well, the this, playoffs. Well, this, uh, this would be the eighth year if they well, miss. Whatever. It's a lot. It's only the Jets are worse. Yeah. I, I think they understand that this is a three-game season, right? And so the playoffs start right now. You have to win out you know, win all three games, and then give yourself just the opportunity to be in the postseason. But if you say that this is a playoff game, then you cannot have a trap game. You're just coming back <laughs> from a three-game road trip. Um, obviously, you were destroyed by Detroit. This should be a comeback game. You should be looking at this and saying, hey, we just have to go and play better just to be able to play better, number one, anyway. So I'm interested to see how these guys will perform on a Sunday night on Christmas Eve where there's a lot of different distractions that happen around this time anyway. But the reality is if you don't win this game, the rest of the season doesn't matter. If you can't beat the New England Patriots, and they're not the New England Patriots, obviously, of the Tom Brady era. They're the New England Patriots of who's their quarterback again? That's exactly the answer, right, that we're going to have for them. Somebody that won't be starting next year, whoever. (laughs) You've been talking about, I don't know, at least four quarterback since Brady left who have started multiple games and now mm-hmm. Bailey Zappi is their guy and Mac Jones and Cam Newton came before him and there were other guys who started games at least four they've had but you're exactly right and that leads to the question how could the Broncos lose this game on turnover differential the Broncos are plus five New England's minus eight but uh, that's primarily due to takeaways the Broncos Uh, at or near the top of the league with 24, and the Patriots only have 14. But here's the deal with the Patriots, and you know this from Belichick's reputation, even with a bad team, they've got a good defense. Mm -hmm. They're giving up only 3.2 yards per rush. That is far and away the best rushing defense on a yards-per-carry basis in the NFL, and it's the best in the NFL in about a decade. Uh, And you also know Belichick's reputation uh, through all of the years, uh, whether it be as a defensive coordinator with uh, the Giants and Jets, uh, a head coach with Cleveland, uh, New England, that he's going to take away 
your main weapon, which would mean Cortland Sutton is going to be double teamed all night. So if the Broncos can't run and Cortland Sutton's being double teamed, how other than avoiding mistakes, which I admit might be enough to win this game, how do they move the ball? Uh, I expect Russell Wilson to do something he hasn't really done all year long, which is find Jerry Judy or find another receiver. And <laughs> yes, the that would be, it. Be um, the alternative. You know, what would be nice is to actually have a healthy tight end on the roster right now to throw the ball in the middle because that's really where you can expose the middle? defense. You mean between exactly. the numbers, right? It, it, that what, what big area that, of the field between Something the that Russell Wilson has really not ever used in his career either. Right. Well, that's the issue. And that's really what this kind of gets back to is that there are ways that you're going to win this game. Number one, run the ball, even though it'll be difficult to run. you got to stick with the run. Make it an ugly game if need be. Win the turnover battle, which, let's be honest, shouldn't be difficult to do against the Patriots. And just come away with the win. doesn't matter how you do it. You come away with the win. But you could really just make this game a whole lot easier for yourself if you do the things that you haven't really done all year. Finding Jerry Judy when he's open. Jerry Judy actually catching the ball when he's open and the ball's going his way. That's a concept, too, right? That's a lot of variables. I mean, it's, it's, it, you know what, guys, to be honest, I am I, – I, I, how is this team even on the cusp of you being in the playoffs? It's pretty remarkable. I don't And no, you know what? I don't want to sidetrack us, but you brought up Jerry Judy, and I, I do want to bring this up because we talked about it earlier. We saw that in Detroit, Cortland Sutton was going to be a double teamed, and you can expect that once again because, as Sandy correctly points out, Bill Belichick likes to take away your favorite toy. So it's a Jerry Judy type of game. But one of the other things that we've talked about with Jerry Judy, and Sean Payton has pointed out, I think in an effort to sort of uh, – make Wilson look bad for whatever reasons unbeknownst only to him. <laughs> I point out that Jerry Judy is open a lot. And then people of course go on uh, social media. They take one still frame of a, of an all 22 and say, look, he's open. Can you explain you, you played tight end at the university mm-hmm. of Colorado. Can mm-hmm. you explain to people what goes into route running, not only just getting open, but how important it is to understand the nature of your route and when you need to be open. <laughs> Shannon Sharp used to always say this, and I love yeah. this when he said when he was working with John Elway, is right. that he would get open so fast that John Elway wasn't ready to throw the ball. So he says, look, if you're open and I'm not ready to throw you the football, then you're going to be covered. So he <laughs> says you have to go and maybe you take another half a second on the line, you go and yeah. take a half a second on your route, and then you get yourself open. Right. This isn't one of those situations, though. Um, the situation is this, is that a lot of times you just got to stick in the pocket and then throw the football, right? And so it could be a breakdown on the offensive line. It can also be just Russell Wilson just isn't there. He just isn't finding him. I go back again to the game that the Broncos played against the Texans, where it's fourth and two, and, I mean, Jerry Judy is running wide open, and you see Russ take a look, and he's starting to literally get open, and then he decides to run, picks up a first down, but the yeah. drive ends in a field goal and not a touchdown. Right. The reality is this is that you've got to go away to the last possible moment, if possible, in order to let the play develop on time and throw the football on time to the right, right receiver. A lot of times it looks like with what Russ is doing is he's going to his primary, rarely going to his secondary, and then I he's agree. running. I agree. Um, and so I agree. it's just a lot of happy feet in the pocket, and that's one of the main reasons why he's not seeing these guys get open. I, I don't want to delve into or uh, litigate all over again that whole confrontation last Saturday night, but I, I'll ask you the question this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you believe, as you seem to be suggesting, 
that the outburst came out of an accumulation of offenses that had been committed by Russell Wilson in the mind of Sean Payton as opposed to one single mistake that was made in the game by Wilson. That it was almost an accumulation of factors and he had just gotten through yelling at the officials and he saw Wilson and it triggered him and he blew his stack because of all the things about Wilson in particular and the offense in general that had bugged him, if not for the entire season, for at least most of the year. I think it was because he was getting his butt kicked. Broncos were down 28-7 to at the time. Well, MMRI. Yeah, or 28 to 10. Mm-hmm. 28 to 10, something around there, right? I mean, you're getting your butt kicked. And so you have that, and you also have two touchdowns that are wiped away. And I could see Russ saying, hey, uh, coach, why didn't you challenge or whatnot? Really? And then you you could see him saying that? I, 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 I just can't. I can't imagine <laughs> Russell Wilson saying boo to a head coach during a game. I just well, can't. It's not in him. He didn't yell back. Right. Other quarterbacks did he yell back. back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Brady always yelled back. Sims always yelled back. Marino always yelled back. He yelled at Shula more than Shula yelled at him. Really was. Well, I think it could have been even just looking at him or something. There was some gesture or whatever that was made, and you were just caught in the wrath of a coach, right? And so Russ was right there. You looked at him. You're upset at him for one reason or another. Initially, I thought, taking a look at it, was that, okay, maybe – as the quarterback, it's your responsibility to make sure that everyone's lined up correctly. Maybe somebody wasn't lined up correctly. That was his job, and that's why he was getting yelled yeah, at. Yeah, but Quinn Miners was the guy who didn't line up correctly. And what do you expect Wilson to do? Grab him by the back of the helmet and pull him back? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, or come say, on. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's honestly it's ridiculous. That's really what it is. It, yes. It's something that is extremely ridiculous. And what it is is your head coach who lost his marbles at a time. Yep. And it comes back to a couple of factors. Number one, you're getting your butt kicked. Number two, you as the coach didn't do what you were supposed to do in order to challenge a play. So you thought that you were going to get the touchdown. And then number three, you thought that you already had a score on fourth down, couldn't understand really why you had to go and kick a field goal. And, oh, by the way, here's your quarterback that's been frustrating you all day. (laughs) All day, if we're going to be honest, has been frustrating you. And now you're going to take out some of your venom on him. Um, wasn't a good look. Wasn't a good look on how the team played last week. But thank goodness you have a chance to play at home against one of the worst teams in the NFL. Well, let's turn our attention real quick because we talked about uh, your, your time with the Buffaloes, and you're obviously still uh, familiar with that program. Jordan Seaton, the top collegiate tackle, in, or sorry, pardon me, top high school tackle in the country, mm-hmm. assigned with the Colorado Buffaloes today after a little bit of drama, but he, he lived up to exactly what he did, said when he announced it on uh, FS1 last week and, and signs with the Buffs. For the Buffaloes, obviously, this this is a massive signing in part because you needed offensive line help more than you needed anything else, and they've gotten transfers. Mm-hmm. But to me, it seems even more valuable than that because as Deion Sanders operates uh, with grad transfers or older transfers and using the transfer portal, he said himself it was going to be a 40-40-20 type of solution with only 20% being uh, high school recruits. But it feels to me like a watershed moment here because it is proof positive that Deion Sanders can land the top high school recruits. Eventually, you have to show that you can do it, no matter how few or how many you want to recruit. And getting this one done, given the competition for Seton, seems like a major statement for the Buffs that will help them going forward when they do start going heavily into high schools now going forward. Especially when you came into the season and 
the one thing that people always said was, hey, we know he could get the cornerbacks. He could get the Kermani McClains. He could get the Travis Hunters. He could get the wide receivers. But the reality is he will never get the big guys. That's for the guys in the SEC. That's for the Ohio States of the world, right? They'll be able to go and get those guys. And now, if you could make the argument of all football, we understand football, right? The most important positions are quarterback number one, and then you got to make sure that blind side is mm-hmm. taken care of. Well, guess what? Now you have a guy who is going to take care of the blind side of not only Shador, but whatever other quarterback that you bring in as well. Because, yeah, you got a couple from the transfer portal this year, but now you could go out to the market and say, hey, top flight quarterback, look, you're going to have your blind side protected by one of the best in the nation right now for the next couple of years. And if you're able to go and get big people up front and able to go and get some D linemen that are elite, it's a total different ballgame. Look, when it comes to college, you could just go and get talent and be able to win off of talent alone. We have seen it before. We have seen it throughout history. He's starting to go at a mass talent. He's starting to go and get that 20% of those freshmen who are really, really good. I mean, got a four-star wide receiver who's really, really quick and Miller as well. So, yeah. They're One of the best they've good. ever recruited and, as a wide as, receiver. Yeah. As you pointed out, I mean, you're talking about Seton, a 33 scholarship office, including Alabama, Ohio yeah. State, Tennessee, Tennessee, Tennessee Oregon, the, the big guns. Yeah. Well, well, let me say this. This is very important, too, because I was doing a show on, I'm not going to say KOA on my high sports, no worries, but I was doing the pregame show with the bus and was interviewing one of our guests, and he told me that the word on the street is that it's $2 million for the services of Seton. Let me oh, say that yeah. slowly for you. Yeah. Two oh, this was a, this was an NIL bidding war. The, yeah. mm-hmm. Over the last New week. college free agency, basically. Yeah. yeah. It is. And and to know that's something that has been a story from Wednesday all the way till Friday yep. afternoon. We're You're still right. talking about it. Shows forty eight hours. The, shows the Moxie, shows also the genius that Deion Sanders and his son and everybody has put together. Now here's my one thing now. My one thing is this. If Deion Sanders the marketer can become as good as a marketer, as a coach, yeah. then we will have something. But yeah. we saw a lot That's of different issues this past yeah. year. So, yeah. yes, you're going to get the talent. Now it's time for you as the marketer to become a better coach. Yeah. And you have a, a tackle now joining a <clears throat> Pat Shermer-led offense. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, my God. Sorry. I know. The tackle still plays well. It's a Friday. Pat I'm trying to stay in a good mood, game. but, uh, oh, I, I, I have some questions. But, hey, uh, hey. Hey, hey! You can't take my joy away, okay? Yeah, you can't yeah. take that joy I, away. I, I regret even hey, bringing I, it up. I, I wanted, I, I wanted to ask you one uh, additional question about CSU uh, because uh, one, they had by their standards, they, they, they had the best class according to a lot of the agencies the that rate these things in the whole Mountain West. They were number one in the Mountain West ahead of Boise State, ahead of San Diego State, and all the rest. The biggest story though, had nothing to do with recruiting, had to do with a decision made uh, by uh, Tory Horton. Tory Horton I, I didn't think, to I didn't come think there was a chance he was year. coming back. And yeah. come back for a fifth year, and he's a premier receiver. They apparently recruited a guy who might not be as good as the CU kid uh, you just mentioned, but he's pretty good. They're going to, once again, have a pretty good cast of wide receivers, and they got a quarterback coming in as a freshman who may even next year i suppose challenge the incumbent who we all think is pretty good pretty promising and nicolosi right you know what this is funny because to me people at csu and fort collins they always come out and they say well i don't know if this is the right guy i don't know if we have the right coach and everything 
Right. And what I saw in the game against CU immediately let me know this is the right guy for the Mountain West. Like, who you have right now is somebody that's going to allow you to be able to challenge the Boise States, right, where you don't have to win on a Hail Mary. You're going to be able right. to win those games straight up. You're going to be able to go to Boise, Idaho, and win those games. But to be honest, man, there's, that makes me nothing more happier than to see CSU starting to finally put the pieces together and starting to actually get um, an identity. That's extremely important because when the Rocky Mountain Showdown is as good yep. as it is last year, that just lets you know that, oh, by the way, Mountain West, you're in trouble. And, guys, here's another thing that we should be talking about. CSU is right now auditioning themselves for the Pac-12. Correct. They're auditioning themselves for a right. Power 5. However this right. whole realignment in a couple of years goes down, they are auditioning themselves. And if they're able to go and continue to have high numbers and be able to win the Mountain West and things like that, I could see them being one of the teams down the road being in a Power 5 or whatever type of conference. And you know what? Fort Collins is a great place for football. Canvas Stadium is a great stadium. It is. Um, it is. They have something going on there. Yeah, I they agree. Have something nice. He is Justin Adams. Make sure you give him a follow on social. Justin Adams TV is the handle and easier to find even on CBS News Colorado. So uh, make sure you give him that follow and catch him on air. Justin, really appreciate it. Uh, I know it's a, it's a fun uh, holiday, so a very good hat and Merry Christmas and a very happy, healthy one to you and the family. And hopefully we'll, we'll catch you soon. Hey, fellas, happy uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Blessings to you all. Um, and again, the bus, baby. We're looking good, man. We're looking good again. Now we've got to put it together on Saturdays. Yep, uh, it's, uh, it'll be here faster than we think as well. But how fun is it to talk about college football in the offseason here in Colorado for more than one university? It's been a bit, but that rising tide lifts all boats. He is Justin Adams. Thanks so much, Justin. Really appreciate it. You're welcome, guys. Be blessed. All right, the Denver Nuggets have a game tonight. They will be out in Brooklyn for the second of their three-game road trip against the Nets. Uh, Nikola Jokic, as is his want, uh, had a, a pretty fun night last night uh, in between games and went and uh, watched the uh, the races up in... And Sandy, you would know where this is. I don't. Heard of it. Uh, Yonkers. Absolutely. I mean, it's an awesome team. It's an awesome name for a town. It's fun to say. I mean, Yonkers is great and watch the uh the uh, sulky races yeah as those are well that's uh those are his uh his way he races his horses went out there and took some photos with the folks out there were more than pleased to see the two-time mvp and uh Jokic doing his thing he's gonna do his thing again in brooklyn against the nets we'll preview it next on miley sports Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Welcome back to the show. It is a football Friday. That doesn't mean we have to talk just about football, though, because other things are going on, like the Denver Nuggets, who will be uh, tipping off in just minutes out in Brooklyn, where they are the favorites uh, over the Nets, who are 13-4, and four, but pretty good at home eight and six at home we talked about it with the nuggets earlier this week they have now evened their road record at eight and eight on the season and with a couple more games left on the road even if they split they'll come back nine and nine but kind of feels like they're the better team in, in the this game and the next game but at 
this kind of juncture here for the Nuggets is they get their starters all back. They're finally looking healthy for the most part. And what's been remarkable for me is as the starters get healthy, I thought that the bench would have maybe an adjustment period of getting Reggie Jackson back, playing bench minutes, of having some of the guys playing more, you know, having more of a traditional bench role because they've had to mix and match. It, it seems as if it's been seamless, and it seems to me as if the big story over the last couple games is, yes, the, the brilliance of the starting five, you can pick out as much as you want, but the fact that especially the, the young guys in, in Strother and in Watson and I, even Christian Brown, who is not a fully formed player yet either, he isn't completely matured as a player, their improvements and their abilities to play together, especially given the guidance of Reggie Jackson, a veteran point guard, we are ahead of pace on the bench's development when you compare it to last year. I agree. And last year they ended with the title. It's a deeper bench. It's a younger bench. Uh, you know, your line on Jeff Green is in his late 30s uh, a year ago. And uh, I, I thought by playoff time they were playing the right guys, the right amount of minutes. Yes, Bruce Brown was effectively a six-starter. So he kind of got starters minutes, what, 27, 28 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. But everybody else, by the end of the year, by my playoff time rolled around, other than those top six, headed up by Green and Brown, they had to earn their minutes. Christian Brown right, and Jeff Green had to earn their minutes. And actually, by the end of the season, Christian Brown was playing more than Jeff Green. And, of course, Christian Brown was always coming back, and Jeff Green was always going to leave. Uh, in free agency, and that's exactly what happened. But I couldn't agree with you more, and I'm not saying the Nuggets are beating teams with their bench. That would be ridiculous. Uh, But as long as they can do kind of sort of what they did during the playoffs last year, which for the entire playoffs consisted of riding Jokic, yes, but staying even, not losing ground when Jokic went to the bench, not necessarily gaining but not losing ground. That was a huge change, especially from this time a year ago when you just held your breath anytime mm-hmm. anybody other than Bruce Brown was on the court with others. It felt like if the lead wasn't double digits, the Nuggets were going to be behind <laughs> yeah. before before halftime yeah. having to and scramble to get it back. And then they'd have to do it all over again. Right. The start of the third quarter, they had to build the lead back. Right. And then they'd, they'd have to substitute again, and usually with Jokic, uh, to some extent Murray, but certainly with Jokic, it is late third quarter, uh, first three, four minutes, the fourth quarter, he'd sit. But, yeah, you know, Malone uh, has evolved so much as a coach, and certainly this is true two years ago. I thought Jokic was exhausted by playoff time two years ago, and I, I get that some of it was by necessity that he had right. to play. He didn't have Murray minutes. for a lot of that. He, yeah, he yeah, didn't have I mean, Murray. He right. didn't have Murray at all. And didn't and have Porter for a lot of that. Didn't have Porter for most all right. of that season. So I, I understood. But I thought there were certain guys who were coming off the bench, certainly two years ago and even last year for a while, who were kind of his golden boys. And and, and they were mm-hmm. always going to get their minutes, whether they earned them or not, whether they played well or not. And that isn't the case anymore. And the point you made earlier about the Avalanche and the Nuggets paying people according to production right. and according to their worth and not a penny more or a penny less I mean, everybody misses a little bit. And the nature of free agency means that but, sometimes things, but you, you know, when you hit you know, free you agency, matters. Overpay. And there's some guys, frankly, 
uh, on this team who probably are worth more than they are getting paid. Contavious Caldwell Pope comes to mind, for example, a, a guy who may leave at the end of this year. But the Nuggets are building a bench and grooming people like Strother in particular who can step in right. for a Contavious Caldwell Pope down the road, conceivably. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it would be next year even uh, or so much the following year. But I mean, as but, you point out, you wouldn't say it's point, not. I think he has Strother a player option. could be a starting player on a team like this with Murray and Porter and Gordon and Jokic. Uh, why couldn't you get he's, he's something long. out of Strauss? The effort on defense is good. Yeah. We've seen him. He's, re- yeah. he's, he's really actually a, a really effective uh, without moving without the ball. Right. No, I mean, I, I look at it. And right. Well, he's a Gonzaga guy, just the way Krishna Brown is yeah, a Kansas guy. They Pope. know how to play. They've been well coached. We'll Mark be 31 Few and, and he Bill Self yeah. were two of the best developmental coaches in all of college basketball. Uh, they may be the two best. Now, a college basketball coach has one primary job, and that's to win basketball games. It isn't to develop players for the NBA. Um, Bob Knight, the late Bob Knight, we talked about this upon his passing a few weeks back. Other than Isaiah, <laughs> none of Bob Knight's players particularly excelled in the NBA. No. Other than Isaiah. And, you know, even uh, on his undefeated team. Albert Cheney, I guess, comes can, closest, uh, right. Sell in the NBA? No. Not really. Not really. Uh, I mean, it was like the Duke thing with Krzyzewski for a while mm-hmm. until right. they started winning national championships. And even then, that includes Leitner Christian was Leitner. not a great pro. Right. Uh, Grant Hill, if not for the injuries, would have been great. Yes. And he was pretty damn good even with the foot problems. But anyway... The job is is to win games. And one of the reasons why Krzyzewski never coached in the NBA was that, you know, he wanted that control and he didn't want to deal with stars, although he showed that he could in the Olympics when he coached the Olympians. And he was great with stars. Uh, Knight also won Olympic gold, but he didn't win it with pros. (laughs) He had Jordan, uh, who was great, and probably the first signs of Jordan's greatness came when he was coached by Bob Knight in the 84 Olympics. But it, the idea that you have at least two players on your team, and there are probably more, who were so well coached in college and stayed in college for a while, weren't one and duns, or even two and duns, right? They, they stayed there for a long time. And that's how their programs tend to work. You had Kansas Stars leave after one year. Uh, they think the, the CU kid, the Tad Boyle, had mm-hmm. this, yeah. will, will leave after one year. I don't know about that one. Uh, I uh, Tad says it, but Cody I, Williams, I, right. yeah. I, I hope he's wrong. We'll see. I hope he's wrong. Uh, but the, the Nuggets just have, have this system in place that allows for patience with players and Malone's attitude and i think that's the best word for it his attitude toward bench players now is so much different than it was two years ago and even the early portions of last season where if they don't play well well, you know okay we got to make them better and you know he has luxury of the five starters being as good as they are and even when murray was hurt jackson stepped in and jackson played great 
Now, it hurt the bench a little bit that Jackson wasn't coming off the bench, but I don't think the quality of play among the starters was all that much different with Reggie Jackson than it had been with Jamal Murray. The, the sad thing about Murray missing all that time is it probably means he won't be an all-star and he won't be all NBA this year because yeah. he hasn't played in enough Which, games. actually, you talked about the way the Nuggets do salary. That actually matters a lot to Jamal Murray, who's a free agent after next season. And Correct. all-star appearances and all-NBA appearances factor in what you can make as a maximum. Well, it's the only thing that Murray hasn't been. That's really He's it. been a champion. He has not been an all-star as of yet. Now, I don't, the Nuggets aren't hesitant to pay him, but but obviously I, I think some of this is, you know, I think all parties were hoping that he would have that kind of year, and then, you but, know, it But would you think it easy, about but, it, who are the all-stars on the Nuggets other than Jokic? Nobody. It's, it's, really, it's nobody. really Jokic. I don't think nobody. anyone else has been an all-star caliber player. And, and nobody will be this year other no, than Jokic. I don't think so. Uh, because I, and that's fine because what they've done that sort of the brilliance of the way this roster works the way it is and why it's sustainable is because they understand it. Even when you pick guys like Schroeder and, uh, and even Pickett and Tyson, who are you know right now they're they're in, in the G League doing their thing where they should be, but older than usual rookies by today's standards, especially. But the idea is Nikola Jokic is twenty eight years old. The Denver Nuggets have understood and rightly so. Their championship window is open as long as Nikola Jokic is active because you want to see a guy's game's going to age great. It's Jokic. He doesn't have speed now. He doesn't jump now. He doesn't have vert now. There's nothing to lose. All he's going to get is smarter. So they understand that as long as Jokic is on the court, the truth of the matter is every other player, and certain players will look at, say, teammates of Kobe Bryant's over the year, go back to Scottie Pippen with Michael Jordan, Certain players that are great players can bristle at that. But the truth of the matter is the Denver Nuggets as it stands for this for now in the near future, your job is to fulfill a specific role around Nikola Jokic. Jokic is the nucleus. You need to fill a part around it. There's not going to be a co-star here. Jokic is the guy. You fill in a spot. And they want more experienced Older guys who have more life experience, who understand sort of where they're at. They want to know they want self-awareness and guys like Strother who can step in, guys like Brown who can step in and, and say, look, I know. And, and that doesn't necessarily come with age. Peyton Watson appears to be a very mature 22-year-old guy. I think a lot of that has to do 21 with 21-year-old. He's not even 22 when, yet. When he was at UCLA, he didn't play. He didn't play. So, so I, yeah. I, I mean... And now here he is with a national TV commercial because Nikola Jokic is there. Uh, And he's okay being clowned on a little bit. Listen, no doubt Jamal Murray is the Nuggets' second best player. Right. But this is not a knock at Jamal Murray at all. It is true with every player who plays with Nikola Jokic. When any player is on the court with Jokic, that player becomes better. Without exception. And you see that with the bench guys when they have a chance to play right. with Jokic. Everybody does. They're 10%, 20%, 30% better than they would be if they were playing and Jokic was sitting on the bench. It's true with every player on the roster. And that includes Murray. And it doesn't diminish what Murray can do, especially in the playoffs. And frankly, that's all I care about. And I love the few players in sports down through the years who have actually been better in the playoffs than they've been during the regular season. Yep. I love those yep. kinds of guys. Jamal Murray's one of those guys. He lights up. Uh, and and you know what? They beat another guy that's been like that his whole career. My favorite guard. And Jimmy up. Butler, 
Who's one of those guys, right. right? My favorite guard growing up, my favorite player growing up was Walt Frazier of the New York Knicks. Big moments. Walt Frazier was a perennial all-star and a terrific player during the year who was better in the playoffs. And the bigger the game, the better he was. The game seven he played in 1970 against the Lakers in the NBA Finals was one of the great game sevens ever played, in my opinion, right up there with Magic Johnson's game six performance without Kareem a decade later. Right up there. And it it was a great game by Magic, but it wasn't game seven. The greatest game seven I ever saw, or as great a game seven as I ever saw a guard play, was played by Walt Frazier for a championship. Guys that are money in the clutch. I mean, that's what it is. And, and Jerome Murray's Murray one is. of them. And, that's and, what Murray and that's is. And that's one great. of the reasons that that's the good Nuggets will have me. it going. So it is the holiday season, remember? So, you know, let your friends know where uh, where they can, uh, you can help them with the gift and, and uh, they can help you. And it's easy. It's right in your pocket already. Refer a friend and earn a $50 bonus this season with Superbook Support. Superbook is the most trusted name in sports wagering. And you don't want to miss their refer a friend bonus. All you need to do is click on the refer a friend link under your profile in the Superbook app. Share that promo code with friends and you'll get a $50 bonus for everyone who registers using that code. So win money wagering and win money referring this season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. When we come back, it's Football Friday. The Denver Broncos have an elimination game. If not formally and officially, for real, they do, at least for their playoff hopes. And the rest of the NFL has a fascinating weekend in front of it. Sandy and I will take a look at all of it and give you our predictions of what we think will happen next on My Life Sports. Ain't the slightest spark out on my clacking jaw. Who's there? Who is it? Uh, stopping for a visit? Is that you, Santa Claus? Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. Welcome back to the show. It is a football Friday. So, you know, be nice. Drive safe. Be nice. It's busy holiday traffic. I get it. Be patient. Kind to your fellow human. You know how that goes on a Friday. Yeah, be patient at the malls. Yeah, uh, yeah, as well. Yeah, every time. Yeah, it's fine. Correct. So, yeah, everyone's trying to do the same thing. But uh, we want to talk, of course, about the Broncos and the NFL. A lot going on. A bit. I mean, a huge NFL weekend. Sandy, you would love oh. to do it earlier. Uh, monumentally important games all around the league, and not just for the Broncos. Obviously, we'll take a look at it from the Broncos' perspective for the most part to see uh, how things will impact them. But obviously, you know, you had you had big games last night. Uh, the, the Rams winning last night, not a shock, but a big game over in the NFC. Uh, the, the Saturday games right off the bat are both very important for the Denver Broncos. You have the Bengals and the Steelers, which is maybe, uh, for the Broncos' purposes, the most impactful game outside of their own. Could and then be. followed that, Could the be. Bills and the Chargers. The Bills are, spoiler alert, the Bills are going to steamroll <laughs> the Chargers. So um, even though that matters to the Broncos because the Bills are 8 and 6, uh, maybe not so much drama involved in there, but that Bengals-Steelers game, a big one. Well, it is, and uh, Pittsburgh seems to be in full-scale retreat. Uh, Cincinnati's hot. Jake Browning has played at least as well as Joe Burrow was playing 
Now it's a small sample size. It's Joe Burrow games, was playing hurt, right? But Joe Burrow was playing hurt. Had started to play well though, yeah, and recovering from the calf injury. And then of course he has the wrist injury that takes him out of his season. But they put Browning in there, and Browning produces. And so uh, Cincinnati is actually a two point favorite in this game. Here's the discrepancy though between winning and losing for Cincinnati. If Cincinnati wins, 56% chance to make the playoffs in the AFC. If Cincinnati loses, 13%, because that's another conference loss. Make or break one for the Bengals, too. they would be 3-7 and at that point in the AFC. No tiebreakers for Cincinnati. They are favored, even though on the road, by just a little, three points. They they are favored. Yeah, it's between two and three, depending on where you I feel like the... I'd be surprised if the Bengals lost that game. I, I would be too. But if it's you're the Broncos, you wouldn't hate it. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not used to looking at a Mike Tomlin team in December playing a home game against a backup quarterback and saying, "Boy, they're getting two points." I'm not used to <laughs> saying that. I'm not used to seeing it. But in this case, I, I, it's it's all over the the, the network talk shows on ESPN, Fox Sports, and so on, that Mike Tomlin is excusing behavior, even on-field behavior, that he never would have put up with in other years. Uh, I mean, he's suspending people, yes, but, you know, this, this thing with the wide receivers, Johnson and Pickens, who have admitted that they're not putting out. Yeah. He's accepting it. He said, "Well, Pickens is getting better." And I'm saying that this did somebody kidnap Mike Tomlin? Is somebody impersonating Mike Tomlin and saying these silly things? I I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, now on Sunday, and it's worth noting he's yet to have a losing season. True, they're at seven and seven. But they're at seven and seven. It's and touch and go. They're going to have a losing season. Uh, Indies at Atlanta early on Sunday, and that is the other game that the Broncos watch closely because again. With a win, Indy is 69% likely to make the playoffs. This is according to FPI projections by ESPN. 32% to win the AFC South. That's with a win. With a loss in Atlanta. Now it's a non-conference game. Mm-hmm. Only a 42% chance that's to the make other, the playoffs. That's the other big one. Only 11% to win the AFC South. Now it doesn't take them out of it, but... 69% with a win, 42% Sandy, Atlanta with a loss. Is, That's a big Atlanta's gap. favored. I'm sort of stunned. Uh, yeah, yeah, by a point. Yeah, I, I'm stunned too. But it's uh, Taylor Heineke against uh, Gardner Minshew, who have professed uh, this week, uh, at least on the part of Heineke, kind of a mutual admiration society. He uh, says, we're as, the same guy. Expect. They kind of we're are. We're backup quarterbacks that are called on often to save. And Atlanta's still in contention for playoffs in the NFC. They are. Uh, although barely. Worth noting. It's although barely. barely. But, uh, yes, but, they but, are. It, but that's the story with Heineke and Minshew. They're asked to come to the rescue when starters have failed or big games are played and starters aren't available. And, of course, the, the other game on Sunday of interest uh, prior to the Broncos Sunday nighter with New England is Cleveland at Houston. Uh, just run down the that's, figures that's here. The other big one, yeah. Houston with a win, seventy-two percent likely to make the playoffs. Twenty-eight percent to win the division. That's with a Houston win. A loss, thirty-three percent chance to make the playoffs. 
not 72, 33 with a loss, 7%, a quarter of the chance to win the division. That's how important that game is. And for Cleveland, a win, 99% chance to make the playoffs, 14% chance to beat up Baltimore for the AFC North. A loss, still 80% likely to make the playoffs. But 99% versus 80%. I'd rather have 90%. Uh, yeah. And Cleveland is favored by two and a half points at Houston because Houston will not have C.J. Stroud right. and will have Case Keenum, who, yes, was on the winning side last week, but I watched that game on at least the red zone portions of that game, and I thought Case Keenum was very, very shaky. Well, let's turn our attention uh, to... Shakier the, than Joe Flacco, even. The Broncos. Who will be the Cleveland quarterback. Who will play on Sunday night, of course, against the Patriots in a game they absolutely have to win. Uh, Broncos favored by seven points. I I am so nervous about the capabilities of this Broncos offense, especially given the deficiencies in their run game. I do believe the Broncos will win because I think Russell Wilson, for the most part, has been careful with the ball. Yeah. And I think that's really the only thing that can trip them up. But I, I don't think the Broncos are going to win by a touchdown. I'd love to be pleasantly surprised. But at that point, I don't care. They have to get a win. I think they do get the win. I, I don't know if they even get to 20 points, but I do think they get the win. Wouldn't you think, and the best question of the day was put some 45 minutes ago, 50 minutes ago by Justin Adams, how on earth are the Denver Broncos 7-7? Seven and seven? Because if you took in any year a 7-7 seven and seven team playing a team not only that's 3-11, and 11, but is a bad 3-11, and 11, yeah, okay, really bad. like New England, and they're at home. On a Sunday night, on Christmas Eve, for goodness sake. With their season on and the line. And with it, everything to play for, and they're favored by a touchdown, or earlier this week, less than Even a touchdown. Than and I'm like, inconceivable. And this is Denver. And it... Even now, the Broncos are going for five wins in a row at home, something they have not done in nine years, win five in a row at home. Believe it or not, in 2015, wow, their championship you know season, they never won five in a row at home. Wow. I mean, it, 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 seem, yeah, it seems as if things should be optimal. Uh, yes. <laughs> right? And, and, and what that really shows is it's a team that there are teams that are, uh, throughout the Bill Parcells, you are what your record says you are. And quite frankly, that's fair. Because the Broncos have looked alternately good and really bad. They, they were 7-17. Seven to 17. But you look at it and say, right now, could they be a 9-5 and five team? No. No. Could they be a five and nine team? Yes. Oh yeah, they oh, could yes. be a five and nine oh, team. Yes. And so they're sort of fortunate to be where they are. And you know, in a perverse way, that's a credit to Peyton. It is. Who doesn't want to seem to take credit for things that legitimately could be His assigned fight? to him as credit. Why I, I <laughs> it's uh, it, he is a fascinating psychological case study. I'll get you know that. It, he could be crowing. He said, listen. This is the first year of a multi-year program that I've got, and we're ahead of schedule. We started one and five. We're seven and seven. Yeah, we have teams against whom we do not match up. Detroit was one of those teams. Miami certainly early in the season was one. But we're doing great, and we might win ten. Make the playoffs or not, going ten and seven after five and twelve last year. And he's the most miserable guy. He's the Grinch. 
who won't steal Christmas but might steal Christmas Eve if he throws another tantrum on the sidelines. I don't think it'll be a tantrum night for Sean Payton on Sunday. Hopefully not, and hopefully he come away with a Broncos win. We will find out, of course, the Broncos and Patriots kick it off on Sunday night football. That will do it for us, for Danny Bailey and Sandy Club. We certainly wish you a very happy, healthy, and merry, merry Christmas this weekend. Uh, be nice to your fellow man. Enjoy the time with your family and your friends as best as you can, and we will catch you next time. For Danny, for Sandy, I'm Sean. We'll catch you then. Take Ladies care of yourselves and, and everyone else. We'll be back next on Miley Sports. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. I saw the fire in your eyes. I saw the fire.